This is an Our Savior Evangelical Free Church podcast. To learn more, visit osefc.org. All right. Let's get into the preaching of God's Word. If you have your Bible, let's go to Luke 11, the Gospel of Luke chapter 11. And while you're turning there, would you join me in a word of prayer? Abba Father, you invite us to come mighty and high and lifted up as you are, lowly and depraved apart from Christ as we are, but you tenderly incline your ear to hear the prayers of your people. You say in Psalm 62 that we should trust in you at all times. We should pour out our hearts before you, for you are a refuge to us. God, may we learn more this morning about pouring out our hearts before you. And may we be reminded and encouraged that you are a refuge for us in time of need, when we have wants according to your word and will, and when we want to see those that we love impacted. You are the place we should go. Father, as we talk about prayer this morning, I pray that we would not just learn about prayer, but would, we would be a more praying people. May this time not just be for our head, but may it be for our hearts and our minds and our lips. We pray in the name of Christ Jesus, who is our Lord and Savior. Amen. Well, this is the second in a brief three-week series on prayer. We are cleverly calling it prayer. Uh, it is our sincere hope that you will set aside these extra moments that we've been talking about in the announcements in the month of June to pray and to further that on, we want to talk about praying here in the preaching of God's Word and to show you where in God's Word and some of the ways that God's Word encourages us to pray. And there's, there's a pattern that I've noticed when I talk with people about prayer. It's not at all foreign to me. I can identify with it when I hear it every time. And that's that almost every Christian that I talk to about prayer, and in my own heart I feel this too, we all wish we prayed more. And everybody I talk to about prayer wishes they also had a deeper urge to pray as their very first response to just about every incidence in life, whether it's bad news, whether it's good news, whether it's uncertain news, whatever. And that's where I'm at too. I want to pray more, and I want my heart to long to pray in deeper ways. Because prayer is, as just in a moment of honesty, rarely my first instinct. It's not what I gravitate towards. I gravitate toward my own ability to shape, into influence, into turn. 
There are things that I love to do with the Lord. There are things that are not really work for me. I love to read God's word and I I love to study theology. I do that because I like to. I love to encourage people who are anxious or, or, or feeling defeated. I love to sing. I love to sing with God's people. I love to turn on praise music and I love to sing along. But prayer, on the other hand, that's more of a labor for me. So here is is what I want to do together here this morning, is I want to talk about not just prayer, but everyday prayer. And by that, I mean a daily habit. You call it a ritual, you call it a routine of prayer. And I'm not going to use the word common Last Sunday, I I loved this last Sunday. Pastor Tim started this series, and he just got me. I was sitting right down there in the pew, and he just got me when he said, let's remember, church, that when we pray, the God who hangs stars and creates worlds and upholds every bit of life and is powerful beyond the supernovas of suns, when we pray, he stops and he bends to listen to us. And there is nothing common about the God who is sovereign and powerful over the universe over all the laws of physics and thermodynamics, over all the things we've yet to discover in the oceans, out of the the vastness of what we don't know about even our own solar system. When he listens to us when we pray, there's nothing common at all about that. That just hit me last week. But we said it's actually for that reason that for us as Christians, prayer should be a part of our routine. We shouldn't do it with this, you know, it's not routine in, in, in the ca- kind of careless, absent-minded way that we, you know, brush our teeth or that you wipe down the, the kitchen counter. But we should do it often. We should do it regularly. It should be our pattern. And not because we have to, but because that great, loving, tender, mighty unrivaled God invites us into prayer. So my hope is just to to take these few minutes and to help make you feel a little bit more free to pray after this morning. I, I run into two main objections, even if they're not voiced when I talk to Christians about prayer. The first is that people feel intimidated to pray. Just kind of, how can I, low as I am, pray to God high as he is? How is it that I should even approach him to pray? That's number one. The second is that people feel messy in prayer. I'm not very good at praying, they think. Maybe my messiness is, I don't even know what to pray for. I just kind of ramble on. I stutter on. I wonder if I'm even doing it right. And so what I want to do just over the course of the next few minutes is do my best to address these two objections. I'm intimidated by prayer, and my prayers feel messy. And really what I want to do is just get out of the way as much as possible 
and point you back to the words and the instructions and the invitation that Jesus offers us to pray. Here's what he, here's what he says. This is what we're going to read in just a few minutes, but we're going to kind of lay, lay it out for us. If you are intimidated to pray, Jesus says, you needn't be. God wants you to pray. In fact, he loves when you pray. And then if your prayers feel messy, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. If you wonder, what do I pray? Just pray about the things that God tells you in his word are important to him. And pray about the things that are important to you. Those are the words of Jesus. God wants you to come to him and pray. And he wants you to pray about what's on your heart and what's precious to his heart. And so if you're not there yet, turn to Luke 11. This is a version of what's often called the Lord's Prayer. There's a longer recording of it, a few more words and topics covered in the Gospel of Matthew, but I think Luke 11 here is a really great place for us to be this morning. So let me read these four verses. Luke 11, starting at verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. One of the things that that stands out as you read the Gospels is how frequently Jesus prayed. Sometimes his prayers are emotional and circumstantial, just about exactly what was happening when he was in distress. And at other times it is apparent that Jesus had a habit, a regular time of prayer. And I would say that's a good pattern for us to fit into. When you feel pressed... When you are in distress, when you receive bad news, go to prayer. But don't make that the only time you pray. Connect with God every day in prayer. So on this day, Jesus was was by himself, probably either within earshot, certainly where he could be seen by his disciples, because they know he's praying, and so they ask for tips. They ask for instructions. Prayer would not be entirely foreign to them. The Old Testament is full of prayers. But I think they noticed something different about the way Jesus prayed and the prayers they heard from him because they don't seem to be and fit the pattern that the disciples probably would have been taught to pray in. And the difference is captured in the very first word that Jesus uses to teach them. He says, when you pray... Say, Father. It's meant as an intimate word, and it's a very different way than people were used to relating to God. And so when Jesus says, start with Father, praying to your Father, immediately the disciples sense something different is coming, and so should we. This is why I say that if we are intimidated by prayer, if you wonder, how can I possibly pray? 
You don't need to be intimidated by this. You are invited, you are welcome to come to God like a cherished child comes to their father. Romans 8.15 says that when we are in Christ, we did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, which means Father. Now, it is natural to be afraid of God. He's really big, and he's powerful, and he is mysterious. The scriptures call him that. But it's the mystery that probably induces the most fear. Power, maybe a little bit large size, I guess, but it's the mystery. Who is this God? But for Christians... The Apostle Paul says that the mystery of Christ has been revealed, that God has made known to us that if you know Christ, you know God who is your Father. So if you want to, you can know God. He's eager to reveal himself to you. He's actually revealing himself to all people all the time. Everything around us that is good, that is beautiful, Everything that you see that is pleasant and wonderful, that's all a testimony to not only the existence of God, but the character of his love. And so everybody can know Christ. But for Christians especially, God is no longer the kind of mystery that has to make us afraid. Still big and he's still powerful. Sure he is. But he is also known. You can know God yourself. And you don't even have to do the work. He's already done it in Christ. So that you would know that he is not far away. So that you would know that he is not inaccessible. He condescended in the God-man Jesus Christ to come near Not that he would bring you up out of your world to meet with him in some difficult-to-understand other place. But he came into your place, into our place, and he walked where you walked. And he lived like he lived. That's why Hebrews says that he is not a God who cannot identify, but in every way he can identify with our weaknesses. And he suffered as we suffer. And so... He is like us. If you wonder, how can I know God? You can look at God who became man and lived like you live. He is not far away. He is not to be afraid of because he has made himself known to you and to me. All we have to do is look to Jesus Christ. And then when we think of this idea of a father, I have, I have two children. The highlight of most of my days is when I come home and they are excited to see me. I know that that won't last forever. I know that at some point I'm going to just get a hey from the couch. But right now, I have the joy of walking into my house and my girls like get up and they run to me and they get excited and they scream. And sometimes that's overwhelming But I have to remind myself, like, this is precious. Like, this isn't always going to be the way it is. So I love this. They want to hug me. They want me there. 
And you know what would grieve me? If when I came home, my children retreated to their bedrooms or maybe only wanted to come out for a little while, and when they did, they were quiet. And they didn't want to speak to me like I was their dad. They would maybe kind of address me as some kind of a supervisor or like the warden at a jail, hoping not to say just the wrong thing lest they be punished. And so they would prefer to speak with me as infrequently and little as possible. That's what would grieve me. Being invited to come to God as a child comes to a father is a wonderful, wonderful thing. But there's also a downside to it because many of us know dads who are not always good dads. There are bad dads in the world. But we should know that God is incapable of being one. He's a great father. When Romans 8 and Galatians 6 say that we have, through the Spirit, a personal connection with God as Father, and we can call him Abba, that has under it his perfection. When we can call God Father, we come to a perfect Father. Theologian J.I. Packer writes that God behaves toward those who are his in a fatherly way that is flawless. The biblical idea of fatherhood, he goes on to write, blends authority, fidelity, affection, care, discipline, long-suffering, and protection in a course of sustained love that aims always at the children's advance in strength, wisdom, and maturity. There's no better way that Jesus could have taught us to pray than to roll the shade up and let the sun shine into our hearts with the warmth of a knowing God as Father. And if you doubt that God wants you to come, again, you don't have to wonder. Through Jesus, he invites you in to his presence and he smiles when you start to speak like a child who runs to greet their dad, not retreats to their room. Even in confession of sin, God is glad that we've come because he longs to help. Think about that. Even when you come to tell him what you've done wrong, he delights that you've come and he delights that you want his help. And when it comes to sin, he's the only one that can truly help. We see people, we might be ourselves experienced in going to all kinds of things with our guilt. We take our guilt and we try to make atonement for our own. We exhaust ourselves trying to do good deeds that we hope might make amends. Maybe we self-medicate through addictive behaviors. If I could just suppress my guilt for a little while, I'll feel better. Maybe we pretend like our guilt and what we've done wrong is, is no big deal. All the while, it, it eats away at us and it poisons us from the inside out. But going to God with our sin, 
Folks, going to God with our sin is the only way that we will see it truly dealt with. When we confess it to him, he can and he promises and he will, if we are in Christ, take it off of us and put it upon Jesus to be punished. That's exactly what he does. When you wonder what happens to my sin, it is taken off of you. It is put on Christ and it's Christ who is punished for your sin so that you are purified and you become righteous. God does not incline his ear to listen to you begrudgingly and he doesn't do it with disappointment as though he's fulfilling some aspect of his job description that he kind of wishes would go away. He bends down to listen because he's happy that you've come even if it's to confess sin, even if it's just for you to ask for what you need. For any reason, God loves to hear from his children. So that's the first thing. Don't be intimidated to pray. Second objection or barrier to prayer that I I often hear is I just don't know what, what to pray for. What should I fill my time? How should I pray? All of those kinds of things. And Jesus begins to give us some idea of what to pray for. Second half of this says, give us each day our daily bread. He's already prayed for the hallowing of God's name and the coming kingdom of God. He says, pray for the forgiveness of sins. Pray that we would be able to forgive others who have sinned against us. And then pray that you would not be led into temptation. So in this example of prayer, after we go to and, and we praise God... We can talk with him about our cares and our concerns, the events of our lives and our needs. Now, sometimes people feel like it's selfish to ask God for things for themselves, for their needs, for their wants. But this is exactly what God invites us to come and do. This is the kind of dad that he is, the kind of father that he is. Now, the difference might be I have children that are of the age that ask me for things all the time. Like we just walk through Target or Walmart or Costco or wherever, and they just ask me for like everything. And part of, the, part of me wants to say, even if I bought that for you, what would you do with it? You barely even know what that is, yet you want it. What we should do when we go to ask God for what we want is first to start with the question, is this what God would want for me? If it is, then Jesus and the first apostles tell us at several points, God is not only available for us to inquire of, but it brings him glory and it gives him joy when we come and ask. And the reason is that God's the greatest power in all the universe. And he tells us he delights to give us the desires of our hearts. And this isn't a caveat or a limitation of what he is willing to give us through prayer. It's more grace from God in that he not only wants to save you from sin, but he wants to save you from yourself. On our own, we are prone to just walking through a store, walking through life saying, I want that, so give it to me now. 
We're likely to pursue things or make it our aim to gather things that in the end would be harmful for us, that in the end we don't need, that in, in the end would only distract us. So God is kind to say, Christian, who I love, don't ask me for that. That's not what you need. If I were to give it to you, it wouldn't help you. In fact, it would harm you. It would make you more dependent on yourself and less dependent on me. It would create in you a desire for the things of this world, not of my kingdom. It would convince you that the earthly treasures that twinkle in your eye are what matter, and they don't. So God says as an act of grace, I will give you all that is good according to my will, and I will steer you away from what is bad. And he actually does this through prayer. One of the benefits of everyday prayer is a conversation regularly with God where our hearts are aligned to his. If you're only praying sporadically, if you're only praying in crisis, what you're not having the opportunity to do is to daily check in with your Father who loves you and wants to align your heart to his. In John 14, 13 and 14, Jesus says, whatever you ask for in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. But right after that, he says, people are in him who keep his commandments and seek his help. 1 John 5, 14 says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. I love the teaching of the, the Westminster Shorter Catechism on this. Uh, the Westminster Catechism is a guide written by godly people who knew well and searched the scriptures to help us everyday Christians deepen our faith and our understanding of God. So what the, what the Westminster Shorter Catechism is, is it's a series of fundamental questions about life and faith and how the Bible kind of succinctly answers them. And so it asks, what is prayer? And the Westminster Shorter Catechism answers, prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. The next question goes on to ask, what rule has God given for our direction in prayer? The answer is, the whole word of God is of use to direct us in prayer. But the special rule of direction is that form of prayer which Christ taught his disciples, commonly called the Lord's Prayer. So people often called the Westminster Divines said, if there is any place in all of Scripture to teach a regular everyday Christian how to pray on a daily basis, it is this Lord's Prayer. And after opening to us the truth that we can pray to God, not as a distant, angry deity, but a, a close, tender-hearted Father, the Lord's Prayer has four basic things that we should ask for from God. So if you wonder, what do I pray for every day? Pray for these four things. First, we should pray for the glory of God. 
hallowed be your name. Pray that God's glory would not only be known all over the earth, but pray that on a daily basis, and it works best if you pray it it early in the morning, God, may I be about your glory today. May the things I say, may the things I do, may what I'm about, may what I long for, may every opportunity I have be to hallow and to glorify and to praise the name of the living God today. Second, pray for the coming kingdom of God. Your kingdom come. When we ask for God's reign, we're simultaneously asking for two things. That the rule of Satan, who is said to have some power in this world, and to hold on to hearts away from Christ, that he would be destroyed, and that God's kingdom of peace would come. For the kingdom of Christ to come, then we're also asking for more and more people to be brought into it. And that it would be the kingdom that Christians hope in and pray for. And so again, hallow the name of Christ and pray for the coming kingdom of God. And you do this. When you pray for the coming kingdom of God, it really gives you some perspective on which kingdom you are living toward and for. Will this build a kingdom unto myself? Is this a kingdom that only lasts a few years in this world? Or is this truly of God's eternal kingdom. That shapes your day, folks. It shapes your day to ask, how long does what I want right now going to last? Does it last forever? And if it doesn't, is it really that big of a deal? Third, pray that we would have our basic needs met. We don't think much about bread to eat for any individual day or a specific meal. But that hasn't always been the case. And poor people around the world still think often about how they're going to eat their next meal. And people in Jesus' day certainly did. And this means plainly what it says. When we pray for our daily bread, we're praying for our daily needs. Pray that God would meet your needs. Folks, there is a way to do this. It's, it, this is difficult. I'll just call this out. It's difficult for us, 21st century Americans, to be reminded that our daily needs aren't guaranteed and they're not rights, that God provides for us every moment of every day, all the way from oxygen to meals to safety to health, to all of those good things that he provides for us. And even though we might not feel like the threat of, what am I going to eat for lunch after this? In fact, some of our biggest questions aren't, what am I going to eat for lunch? It's which restaurant will I be going to, to pay somebody else to cook the food, serve the food, and clean up the food after me? But there's a perspective that is shaped when we pray, even though that's not really a part of our wondering God, thank you. Praise his name for meeting it. It's not wrong to go to a restaurant. I like restaurants. It's okay to go to them. But make sure and say, God, I recognize that I don't deserve to sit in this chair and be waited on. I don't deserve somebody back there preparing the food that I haven't grown, that I haven't harvested, that I haven't transported, or that I'm not preparing. It's just going to show up. I don't deserve that. Praise be to your name that you give me the nice gift of being able to do this with my friends and family. And then throughout the Bible, bread is also a metaphor for other things that sustain life. So the other things that sustain life, thank God for those too. 
So what you need, pray and ask God for. There's nothing selfish about it because he says, come and do it. Can you imagine, have you, ever, have you ever offered to a friend, if you need anything, they're going through a crisis, they've had a, a joy, a baby's coming, if, if you need anything, you come to me and ask. Don't you want them to come and ask? It, is it selfish if they say, actually, would you come over and help with this thing? We need a, a meal because we've been kind of swamped lately. Would you come over a friend and, and help me work on something? It's a great joy to serve other people. In the same way, God does not, is not burdened by you coming to ask for things. He loves it. He's invited you to come, and he takes great delight when you do. So ask for what you need. Fourth, and finally in this prayer, ask that we would be a forgiving people. This is huge, and it will mark out Christians from the rest of the world. May we, as Christ encourages us to pray for, pray and confess our sin to God, for he knows it anyway. And then as we have been forgiven, may we pray and ask God for the strength to truly forgive other people. Forgiveness does not harbor grudges. It does not stay bitter, and it does not say you owe me one. May we release to people their offenses of us as God has released from us our offenses far greater against him. There's a parable that Jesus tells. It's of a servant who owes a master a great, great debt. And the master comes to collect the debt and the servant cannot pay. It's a lifetime of debt. And he He's in great distress, and he falls on his knees, and he begs, begs the master for more time. And the master extends to him, sometimes readers of the parable miss this, the master extends to him not just more time, but forgives the debt entirely. Just says, you know what? It's not just that I need to be repaid, and I will give you extra time. Don't, don't worry about it. The debt is gone. And immediately the servant goes, and he finds somebody who owes him a much smaller amount of money. In that day, the, 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 the amount given would be a, a week to 10 days wages. So yeah, some money, but not, not anything that's insurmountable. And he says, pay me what you owe me right now. And the man says, please, I need more time. Exactly what he has just asked from the master. But instead he says, no, no more time. And he has him thrown in jail for failure to pay his debt. Now, the master finds out about this in the parable of Jesus and calls him a wicked servant, which he is. But the point of the parable is that we have been forgiven by God of great, great debt. So we should find it relatively easy to forgive those indebted to us in just small amounts. But Jesus knows that this will be difficult for us. So he says, pray that God would do this. Pray that God would give you perspective to show you how great a debt you would owe him and how minuscule a debt somebody who's offended you would owe you. But as you have been forgiven, so forgive. Forgiveness marks out the godly because they recognize their lowly condition before God. And they celebrate an opportunity to return even a small portion of the kindness of God to other people. 
So pray that we would be a forgiving people. Pray every day. Folks, I have not laid out things that take a long time. You do not need to rise long before the sun to pray in that way. If that's your habit, wonderful, and keep doing it. But start out with a few minutes of prayer each day. I told you at the beginning, I'm not a person. I've done day-long prayer retreats. I've done days of silence and things like that. And I just have to be honest with you. I've gone for day-long prayer retreats that started at like 8 or 9 in the morning. And by like 11, I'm bored. I'm just being completely upfront with you. I wonder, what am I going to do all day? I'm not suggesting that you become an ascetic and just every day retreat to the woods by yourself to pray. I'm saying find a favorite chair, find a quiet place, and have a few minutes of prayer each day. And we're going to do that right now. I am so hesitant always to preach on prayer because it lays two burdens on my heart. Number one, I've prayed a lot this past week because I just, I'm, it weighs heavily on my heart to not be hypocritical and stand up on Sunday and say you should pray all the time and me having not been very prayerful throughout the week. So I've prayed a lot this past week, more than I usually do in preparation for that. And I don't want to preach on prayer without doing any praying. That's the second thing. Prayer is not primarily an exercise of intelligence. You don't need a lot of technique training. You don't need a lot of teaching on prayer, and neither do I. I think you know for the most part. I've laid out some things here, but these aren't rocket science. You can figure this stuff out. What we need to do is pray more. We need to be a praying people. It's not that we just say, I, just, I would pray. I just don't know what to pray for. I just don't know what to pray. I don't know how to pray. That's not it. We need moments to pray. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give us now two minutes to pray. And let me tell you right now, this is going to feel like an eternity of awkward silence in this room. Two minutes in a room, quiet, a full two minutes, and I'm going to time it is going to feel like a long time, but it's only going to be two minutes, I promise. Pray for the glory of God in your life, that everything you do would be to his praise. Pray that his kingdom would come, that you would care, seek first his kingdom, and then everything else would be added to you. Pray for your needs, the basic needs of other people, and then pray that you would forgive. And I'll just add this on. Not in the notes. If there's anybody that you need to forgive, go home and do it today. Don't pray for it and then pretend like we didn't do this together. So I'm going to just invite us to pray for these things. Pray them for yourselves. Pray them for your family. People always wonder, is it selfish to pray mainly for me and my family? I actually don't think that it is. Because those are the things that are important to you and in your sphere of influence. Sure, pray for other people. That's wonderful. But pray primarily for the people that you love. That just kind of makes sense, doesn't it? So the people you think about, the people that you're around the most, the people that you care about the most in the entire world, pray for them. And pray for other people too. But don't feel it's selfish to concentrate your prayer on your main spheres of influence and who you spend the most amount of your time with. So right now we're going to go to two minutes of prayer. I'm going to open us with a word. I'm going to close us in prayer. And then we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Father, in this two minutes, would you meet us now? May we remember that you delight that we come 
that as you continue to uphold all that has been created, now you, even in this moment, are inclining your ear to hear us in this room. May we pray things according to your word and your will. And we be sure that you have promised to give us all good things. Hear us now, we pray. God, we thank you that you have heard the prayers of your people and you will be sure to answer according to the will that you have set forward long before you laid the foundations of the world. Amen. This morning we are going to follow the commands of Christ, celebrate the Lord's Supper together. If you didn't grab one of the prepackaged elements on the way in, I would encourage you to do so at this time. It's okay, just make sure you have those. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he gave thanks and he said to his disciples, this is representative of my body which will be broken for you. Sin had to be punished. And he was going to bear the weight of that punishment, the burden of that punishment. And similarly, after the meal was ended, he took one of the cups of wine that would have been part of this ritual. And he said, this is representative of my blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of your sins. What he was saying is like that which was done on the day of atonement to cleanse the people from their sin, he would be a sacrificial lamb 
that any who hope in him, that any who believe that his blood, which was the very next day to be poured out onto the, on the cross as his side was stabbed by a spear to ensure that he was really dead, anybody who believes in his blood shall be cleansed from their sin, not just one time, not just on one day, but forever and ever and ever. And so we follow his example and his command when we do this together. We also do it together as a family, because this is a family meal. It is for Christians. And so I invite you now to take the bread, to remember Christ's body broken for you, and to take and to eat. And to similarly take the cup to know, Christian, know that all your sins, every single one has been paid for by the blood shed for you with you in mind by Christ. They've all been paid for. And so take and drink, remembering the freedom that Christ's blood has bought. Pray that Christ would come quickly. Pray that he would come in power. Would you join me in one final prayer? God, you say, come as Father. So, Father, we come. Thank you for inviting us to pray. I pray for our church, that we would be a people who love to pray that we'd be a people who love our community and so we pray for those around us, that we would be rich in forgiveness and that we would see your kingdom advance and grace be the mark of this people. Thank you for your deep, tender, affectionate, ferocious love for us. It's in the name of Jesus that we ask these things. And all God's people joined together at the end of this prayer and said, Amen. Our Savior is a congregation located in Wheeling, Illinois. Our vision can be summed up in four words. Building community, bringing Christ. To learn more about this vision and our hope for our neighborhood, visit us online at osefc.org.